Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Here, this is the spot where the conversations are pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Did you bring your thinking caps? Because it's time to put them on. Because the conversation starts now. Take it nice and easy. Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. This is your address. This is your spot. This is your place where the conversation is pointed and the guests are sharp and the responses are never dull. And today we have Andrea Hollingshead. Hello. From Spokane. That's right. She in Spokane, Washington. Uh, Brains, she is a military veteran. She is uh, working with people with trauma. Uh, she works with women. She had a little experience with um, substance abuse. We're going to talk about how she overcame that. She's a mama. And uh, she's real cool people. Do you have pink hair? Is your hair pink? I do. It's faded. It was it was purple. It needs to be. I'm telling you, these purple and pink-headed people, okay? <laughs> They're all on their own. Absolutely. Makes you unique. So welcome her to the Edge Brains, Andrea Hollingshead. How are you? I am great. It's been a wild week at the VA, but I am great. Things are good. Uh, I've got no complaints. Now, you work at the Veterans Administration? You work at the VA hospital? I do. That is my day job. Uh, my my business is different, but yeah, that is my day job. Is I'm a therapist at the VA, and I specialize in trauma and substance abuse. You know, veterans, bless their heart. My husband is a veteran. I don't even know what to say. Number one, their sacrifice and their service. They get there and it turns into something different because they're isolated away from their families. They're subjected to rules and regulations. You got to follow orders. Uh, and then you might fall into depression or post-traumatic stress disorder. Depends on where your tour of duty has been. You got your hands full there. What does it look like? Give me a snapshot of the VA these days. Yeah, so uh, fortunately, my team, we have a really great team. Um, I'm sure lots of people say that, but I really do have a great team. Uh, here at the Spokane VA, we have a lot of mental health services, and we're one of the few VAs that's on a new record system, which has thrown everybody for a loop, but you know, it is what it is. Um, we do substance abuse, we do trauma, we do de depression, and all of the stuff, which is really interesting, and it's an honor. Like, it really is, like, being a veteran and being able to serve veterans and help them walk through those things and re-navigate that stuff. Um, I was just joking with a veteran today that like we get brainwashed <laughs> literally in the military and it doesn't get recognized enough. And some of the things that we learn, we have to cut don't, off. Don't say, don't say that because I've got a friend that's going to watch this girl. She oh. wears me out. <laughs> the militarization of individuals and the brainwashing. But you know what? <laughs> There's a lot of things that wash your brain. It can yes. be religion. It can yes. be, you know, military, when you go to jail. Mm -hmm. so it's a programming. It's a discipline, but it depends on what area it's in. Yeah. You say brainwash, girl, she going to let me have it. <laughs> you, get, you, you wash your brain from your family. Like, all of these things change the way we are, how we believe, how we behave, how we interact with the world like it's not that it's a legit cult brainwashing or some wild stuff like well, that it, 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 you know it, it can be 
what militarization is because you know what you're not trained you don't go there to make milk and cookies you go there to learn how to kill and how to survive that's you know and how to protect so it is what it is Uh, but how'd you get there how does a how does a a woman in the military space these days because i used to work on mcrd and i used to see how they train the marines girl i wouldn't last a week Well, so I joined very, very young. I joined in 1997 when I was still a junior in high school. Um, And I was kind of a kind of go to war or go to jail type of kid where I was running around with a lot of people that I should not have been. I was getting in a ton of trouble, uh, had been involved in some gangs and a lot of drugs and alcohol and uh, was on probation. And some people got in trouble and I didn't want to go down. So I told my probation officer, I said, hey, I talked to a recruiter and I'm going to join the army and I'm going to get out of here as soon as possible. (laughs) So I finished up my senior year in high school and off I went and went off to the military and I got out of there as quick as possible. There was a part of me that just knew if I hang around here, then things are not going to go well. Um, And I excelled in the military because it's so structured. Right. And, and you probably, after you're out, you probably, you know, you crave that discipline. I needed it. I, I needed it. You know, we were chatting beforehand and my journey with drugs and alcohol started at the age of nine by sniffing Scotchgard. So, um, yeah, wait, 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 tell me what you were doing so I can look, be on the lookout for these kids. <laughs> sniffing Scotchgard, um, huffing, uh, sprays. Um, was how I started okay, so out. Spray, yeah, so I never knew what hoofing was. You put it like in a bag and then you inhale it or, you know, you spray it in the air or you spray it up your nose. what you do? We sprayed it on our clothes and then we would sniff it. And it's a fabric protector. My babysitter taught me. <laughs> Great babysitter and influence, right? Really? So what yeah. happens? You get, you get, you get on one, you get loopy? Uh, yeah, it makes you real dizzy, gives you a nasty headache, um, makes you feel kind of like woozy and stuff. And, you know, at nine years old, you don't know no better. And that's what the cool kids are doing, so to speak. And you just go for it. So, um, what the hell? Who would just grab some Scotch guard and try to do that? You know, (laughs) you look back at all those different things. You're like, who thought of this stuff? Like, where did this even come from? It makes no sense. (laughs) Okay. So you're nine years old and you're huffing. Yes. Uh, and then, well, and I heard them huffing glue. I've heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it evolved into what? Evolved into alcohol. It was easy to get the scotch card. I didn't, I wasn't going to the stores and stuff. Um, and my mom would notice that that was gone. The alcohol though, between my next door neighbor and I, that I grew up with, we were able to get that super easy and it was all over the place. It was with our families. Um, so we started drinking here and there and I didn't really take off on the drinking on a regular basis until, uh, it was 13 and that was the first time that I really went full force and hundred percent into it. Um, I woke up in a driveway, completely passed out, puking all over myself, um, had puked on a cute guy that I professed my love to. <laughs> called my mom was like I need you to come pick us up from this graduation party Wow! and and you would think that like most people when they go through something like that they wake up in the morning and they'd be like "Woo, 
that's probably not a good idea that I do that again. Not this girl. I was like, where's the next one? Let's go. <laughs> All right. So let's do a deep dive. Were there yes. some situations in your adolescence and growing up between your parents that drove you that way? Or were you just wilding out with, you know, friends and bad influence? A both and. I think things are always a both and space. Um, my mom and my dad were divorced before I was even a year old. And then she was remarried to another guy that was a Vietnam vet, um, and a police officer. So that came with its own things. And then they were divorced by the time I was in second or third grade. And then from there, it was boyfriends that were coming in and out all over the place. There was no structure. There was no like, my family, we didn't grow up in that place where you told each other that you loved each other or that you really liked each other. There was no, like, there was no worry about where we were as kids or how we were doing or any of that type of stuff. It was just like, oh, you guys are just this part of my life that I have to take care of. Um, so it was that as well as not being okay with that resentment towards my multiple families that I wasn't a part of. And just needing to be connected. And I found that in these people that were out partying, like they were having fun. It was great. And they weren't worried about all the other stuff, you know? So it was like, right. cool. and, then, and then, yeah, there's no rules. You made your own rules. Yeah. So, you know, mama is observing some of this. Well, you know, I guess she's doing her own thing. Then yeah. what, what about your dad? Now your dad wasn't there in the household. Did you have a relationship with him? Uh, so my real dad was in and out, um, and it, there were times where it was really great, and there were times where it was not, and the relationship was really strained, and I did not trust him. I did not like him. Um, there was a... Because he wasn't consistent? Yeah, there was a Christmas where he was supposed to come pick me up and actually did not come, and I ended up spending it with my friend because my mom and my two younger sisters had left to go with her parents. So it was, it was chaotic. It's much better now. And we've done a lot of healing and we've done a lot of talking, um, but it was definitely formative. And all of the men coming out um, and through our lives was formative for sure. How did that help you uh, structure your own love paradigm? You know, when you go through some challenges and your first role models are your parents, your mother mm -hmm. and your father, and you want to please them, absolutely. You want discipline, you want structure, you're looking at your friends, you're looking at their parents, and then you have no quote unquote discipline, no rule. How did that help you, you know, frame your adult life? Uh, I was very detached, had up the walls for many, many years and never let people actually get close to me at all. Um, my ideas of relationships was really construed and it wasn't until I got into recovery and learned actually to like women for many years. I didn't trust women. I didn't like women because I wasn't a trustworthy woman, um, that I started to learn how to be a woman and to have grace and to trust other women. And they taught me how to get into relationships, how to develop trust, how to not be needing, how to trust myself to take care of myself um, and how to interact. And um, a big piece also changed when I had my son because I wanted so differently than what I grew up with that I've engaged in my own counseling multiple times and taking care of that so that I can engage with him 
in a different way. And I can develop that attachment and um, help change and stop the patterns that I grew up in. So let me ask, are you married? I am not anymore. I have been, but I am not anymore. So your son, does your son have a relationship with his father? He does not, unfortunately. Um, I, <laughs> I was three and a half years sober and I had a sense of entitlement and I chose somebody that was in active addiction and I had that diamond in the rough, I can change him mentality and I deserve this. And within a month of getting married, he started hitting me and it got worse and worse and worse. And I ended up pregnant. We tried to work things out and do counseling. It still got worse uh, to the point to where I was pregnant at seven and a half months. And he woke me up with a knife to my throat. Um, and that was the end. I was like, I, I'm not, I, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to raise my son in this environment. So we got divorced and it's been his choice to not be involved in our son's life. He pays child support. Sometimes, but sometimes, you know, that's better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Want that additional chaos. Okay. So now you're in this mental health space. Mm-hmm. You've had your own set of circumstances. Clearly. Yeah. And, and you know, your son is watching this. Yeah. How do you uh, try to help him stop that? vicious cycle of epigenetics and i'm gonna ask you that for a couple reasons one because it's no fault of your own what i think that you've done is the most courageous thing as consciously uncoupling to make it safe for him but again he's looking for this person as a role model oops i'm sorry he's looking at this uh you know he's looking at this woman that's strong but a woman can't teach a man how to be a man in my opinion so what are you what are you doing to help him do that does he have you know, maybe some counseling. Does he have a coach? Does he have uh, some good friends? How are you helping him mold himself as a man? Yeah, so a few things, and I think you're absolutely right. I know there's a lot of people out there that would completely disagree with this, April, but there are things as a woman that, like, I just can't teach him. Um, The first step is we have very open dialogue, And I am very honest with him in an age-appropriate way. When I screw up, we talk about that. When he screws up, we talk about that. And we use adult language to fix those things, number one, right? Because it it teaches that relationship and how to reset it, how to amend. And like one of the big things that we talk about is you don't just say sorry in our family. Like I, I don't. Do not just force somebody to say sorry. I think that's complete bullshit. Right. That's my mother. My mother, bless her heart. My mother never said I was sorry. And I thought she was mean. But then, no, she said, you know, April, because people already set their intention before they do whatever it is they do. She said, and they need to accept responsibility for their actions. And, you know, it's like a cut and you put a Band-Aid on it. But if you keep that Band-Aid on it, it'll never heal. So you have to open it up. You got to let it have some air. And saying, I'm sorry, no. She said, I recognize what I did. But, you know, somebody will kill your kid and then say, oh, forgive me, I'm sorry. No, there needs to be real connection about that and real fixing. So we don't do that. We, you know, we don't say four sorries. It's an apology when you are actually apologetic and when you are aware of what you've done that is affecting the other person so that's the first step that we do and then to help him build that relationship with men I've been very selective about some of the men that I have in my life that are just very good friends 
And I make sure that he's around them and that he's able to have open conversations with these men, which is amazing. Um, we've How been in, he? he's 12 now. Mm, so that those hormones are going bing, 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 Yeah, sometimes he's more emotional than I am on PMS day. <laughs> and it, it is, and you, again, uh, teaching, teaching a young a man about, you know, sexual responsibilities and sexual awareness at this point and at his life, you know, because it's different. People don't have those conversations with those, with their kids. Yeah. And these are the formative years. You still have to teach boys about good touch, bad touch, influences, drugs, alcohol. So you got your work cut out. Let me jump back though to the military. You know, there's a lot of people, um, let's start with men in the military that are afraid to get the help that they need when it comes to mental health. They are afraid of losing their security clearance, losing their jobs, uh, really admitting to their vulnerability and their weakness. What do you say to those individuals that are really scared uh, to reach out? And what is the military you know, or the VA, what are those services like when it comes to keeping this anonymous and, and really helping people get through the issue instead of being disciplined and being, you know, chastised, chastised for a, an illness. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing I always try to remind people is it takes a lot more courage to talk and to reach out for help than it does to hold it in. And that we all need help of some type at some point in time in our lives. And that may not come in the form of therapy. That may come in the form of a great coach or a really good friend or family member. Um, so that's one of the first things that I do is I remind people that like, it takes a ton of courage for you to be reaching out and to doing this. Um, you know, I'm not in the army anymore, so I can't specifically speak to some of the policies. I know that things had changed and that continue to change, but there's still a ton of stigma out there. Within the VA, therapy is private and we do our best to remind people that like, what we are doing is for them and that they don't have to do anything that they don't want to do. I always have this conversation with my vets. Like, I'm not going to make you talk about anything that you're not ready to talk about and that we're going to develop a relationship first that you even feel safe enough to start opening some doors up and that we're not going to go into anything deeper or anything more traumatic or difficult until you are ready. Um, and I do the same thing in my coaching. Uh, I push people in a kind and gentle way because we all kind of need to deal with those things. And though I just remind people that this is your journey, it's not mine. I get to sit on, the, I get to sit in the, the co-pilot seat, so to speak, and help navigate, but you're in the driver's seat and you get to push on the gas or put on the brakes to this relationship and how we do this therapy piece. Well, you know, women, are different than men. Hello, newsflash brains. Women are different than men. Uh, so when you're treating a woman that has post-traumatic stress disorder, that is coming back from combat, that has uh, been separated from her child, that may have been sexually assaulted or, uh, you know, disrespected, because it's still a very male-dominated, uh, regimented, restricted, yeah. Sometimes you are, you know, victimized by your own hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So is there, 
I don't want to say different, but is there different types of therapy that you work with with women because they have different sets of issues versus their counterpart, a male soldier? Yeah, so the therapy modalities, the the actual like cognitive processing or prolonged exposure or cognitive behavior, um, acceptance and commitment, all those things are really the same. It's the delivery that changes and the way that we have that conversation and the fact that we do address the differences between the male and female gender and the experience within the military and the world and how contextually that changes us and that those things are just as important and a part of the healing process, rebuilding autonomy, um, recognizing and validation that as a woman in the military, I don't care who you are, you have had to deal with sexual harassment. You have had to deal with it, you have had to allow it, and you have had to be okay with saying, behaving, and joking about things that you probably actually weren't, but to go along, to get along, and to not be the problem, you did that. And that doesn't mean that you're a bad person. That means that you learned how to adapt in a way so that you could survive and so that you could thrive as best as possible in that environment. And that worked then and it's not working now. So how do we separate that? And how do we reconcile that piece? You know, some of it's rewriting our morals and re-looking at our values and re-identifying that stuff for ourselves, challenging those beliefs about those things and ourselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then also too, you know, the substance abuse. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people using alcohol as a crutch mm -hmm. is destroying every aspect of their life. If you are a military veteran, brains know that there is help and it's not in a bottle or a fifth of, you know, rum or brandy because during COVID, it was awful. A lot of military families experienced a lot of trauma, abuse, um, dysfunction. Number one, these military people weren't used to being home all the time because they were on tours of duty. That was restricted. Uh, individuals weren't communicating before, so that was their way out. But when you had COVID-19, you didn't have any choice but to sit there and look at your other, you know, at your partner and really identify who they are. So moving forward, I'm glad that you have programs set up there at the VA that are really trying to be anonymous, that are being supportive of women, that are dealing with drugs and alcohol, and uh, you have a great coaching. So how did you take these things and decide that you wanted to also take it to another level and be a coach? Yeah. Well, after 23 years in the military, I love working with a VA. I love working with my vets, but I'm tired of following the rules too. <laughs> really? Oh, I told y'all wouldn't last a minute. Um, so it, it came from partly that, like, I want to be able to engage with people in a different way. And uh, the mental health that I get to do at the VA is very different than what I get to do in my coaching. I do want to make sure that people know that, like, I don't, I'm not speaking for all of VA. Don't go back and say I'm this subject matter expert and those types of things. But um, it's limited. And one of the things that I learned in the military is the physical fitness and the body image and all of that stuff that comes from that. One of the things that I learned as I was training soldiers and helping them get more fit, get off what they call the fat boy program in the army and different things like that. 
was that there's this huge mental health component of that that never gets addressed in that world. And then when I became a therapist, one of the things that I really, I love the brain, I love the body, I love learning about the neural circuitry and all that stuff. And one of the things that I started to really see in my mental health practice with folks is that there's a huge part that we were missing. We were not connecting brain to body enough and we were not addressing these physical ailments. There was no conversation between me as a mental health therapist and a pain management doctor or primary care doctor. And these folks, they would come in and they're still, you know, they're like, they're limping and they're carrying all this pain and stuff. So I got into the research um, and I got relicensed as a personal trainer. And I decided that it was time to go out on my own and create this program where we're doing it all where we're bringing the brain back online with the body and the body back online with the brain. You know, you talked about the addiction and drowning ourselves. We think that we're avoiding, but we're not. Our body and our mind, like we're sensing all kinds of things all the time. So I get to combine both and really help people get vibrantly healthy in a whole new way because we're addressing both the fitness and the mental health and how the body is holding on to this stuff and how fitness can be used to do kind of what we what we call somatic processing where we're identifying where we're holding these life traumas i call it losing the physical weight and the life weight um so that we can live the way that we want to live and so that we can be more impactful in our life more patient more tolerant more confident so we're not walking around in pain all the time so that we're able to sleep better so that we're able to engage with our families and our, our and a way to get a way to get it off you yeah a way yeah. a way to get it off you you have yes. to channel that energy some kind of way yes in a constructive way and why not with a bad body Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I focus on a lot about a positive body positivity too. That like, I'm not training people to step on stage and be bodybuilding or bikini pros, right? Like I'm training folks like you and me that like, and others that like, we just want to be able to run down the street with our kids and not get winded right. <laughs> or our grandbabies. We want to be able to go out on family trips and do things and hike and bike and like, live longer and enjoy more things we want to be able to travel and do that stuff so the fitness aspect is not that type of aspect that's like go hard or go home and balls to the wall type of stuff balls to the walls i'm scared of that <laughs> exactly that is, that is definitely a army uh, uh word okay yeah, sorry so um come out let's let's learn some fun stuff about you Okay. What's up with the lip, the lip, lip pierce? Why did you do that? And how did, yeah, how did you do that? They, they wanted to do it like that. How did you do that? That looks like well, it hurt. <laughs> uh, it didn't hurt. I went to a professional piercer when I dropped, when I finally decided it was time to get out of the army and I finally got my retirement orders. Um, you know, I joined the military when I was 17, so I never got to rebel in that way. I rebelled in all these other ways, but I hadn't gotten the chance to do the other things. So Within a week, I had an appointment to get my lip and my cartilages pierced. And within three weeks, I had an appointment to get my hair dyed. Because I was like, I get to do the things I never got to do. I'm doing it. <laughs> Why did you decide to get your lip pierced up there? I've always liked it. I've always yeah. thought it was pretty. I thought it was pr kind of feminine. And at the same time, 
I like the juxtaposition of the badass masculine and tough as well as the feminine. And I was like, I think that fits. So what's your pronoun? <laughs> I use her. You use her? I use, her. Yep, I use, I her. use we, they, and ours. Do you? Yep. It's yep. safer that way. I mean, I can just yeah. be whoever I want to be. That's true. Um, if you were an appliance in the kitchen, Andrea, what would you be? I'd be the freezer because I'm super cool. Ooh. <laughs> I'd be the mop because I want to clean some shit up. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what is your favorite food? Sushi. Sushi. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Where are some of the places that you traveled while mm. you were in the military? Thailand, Paris. I've been to South Korea, I've been to Nigeria, New Zealand, Australia, Finland, Senegal, Africa, Nigeria, uh, Germany, Switzerland, Holland. Wow. Uh, Jeju Island, which is part of Korea. So that's made you a very worldly woman. That's given you a opportunity to look at different cultures to look at different upbringings, to look at, you know, relationships between men and women. What are some of the other valuable things that you found from being able to travel to so many different foreign places? Get out of the touristy stuff. Go actually talk to people. You know, um, when I was on my deployment to Nigeria, the housekeeper and I became good friends and we stayed in contact for like years. Uh, we stayed in a hotel off and on. And the things that I learned about the African culture were just so eye-opening and so far from what white middle-class America had learned growing up in Nebraska. Um, so the biggest thing I could say is like getting into real conversations with people and connecting is just so valuable. Like there's so many things that we don't know that we think that we know. And it's an amazing way to learn about yourself. Exactly. You don't know what you don't know, and you have a much richer appreciation for diversity, uh, yeah. for the plights of other individuals, for the haves, the have-nots, the privileged, and the impoverished. Girl, we're spoiled here. The U.S. is spoiled. I, I, I could know, go on a whole other tangent, but I the know, U.S. Is I know. You know, and <laughs> when things happen to me sometimes, I have to remind myself that this is a first world problem, April. It's mm. really not that serious. Yeah. So in the grand scheme of things, when you look at what you have and you can, you know, go in and turn on the spigot and get clean water or, you know, flush a toilet yeah. or go in and get anything from a tuna sandwich to a steak, mm -hmm. all of those things Americans, I think a lot of times take, uh, take for granted. What yeah. would you tell a 25 year old Andrea Hollingshead? Go for it. Let go of fear. Be yourself. Go for it. Find your inner voice and follow that hard. Um, all the other opinions and all the other things that you've learned up until now, you're going to unlearn anyway. So go out, fail forward, make mistakes, and enjoy it. Get out there. Okay. So you got to feel the feels, yet do it anyway. Yes. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. I yeah. And it's not to avoid them or not to think that they're not there. It's to feel it. And it's that and both the both and space like I can feel uncomfortable and I can take care of this feeling in this experience 
and still do the things that I want to do, whatever that may be. What do you want your legacy to be, Andrea? Uh, truly, honestly, 100% open. I want to flip mental health and fitness on its head. There's a lot of lack. Like I said, the two are disconnected and they should absolutely be connected. And I want part of my legacy to be bringing that back together and really putting the two industries back together. Um, one of the other things that I want to do is because, uh, because I've been a solo parent, I want to start a scholarship for solo parents, um, but not just so that they can go to college. Like I have an amazing coach right now, life coach. And I would love, like there's learning comes in so many ways. And that was one of the things that I learned in all my travel, right? Is that you learn from those experiences. So I would love to be able to get this scholarship up and running so that people can get coaches, they can take trade schools, they can do all these different things specifically for single parents because there's just a lot of stigma and ideas about sing single parents out there, so. Yeah, and it, you know, it's hard doing, being a single person, doing two people's job, mm -hmm. and then also mentoring and molding and letting your child know that this is not about you, mm -hmm. you know, that this is about this other individual, but when you don't see that individual growing up, you know, you always have this this doubt and this lack. And I'm glad that you have really uh, incorporated and introduced your son to great role models that will help them, you know, understand that, hey, it's more than having that physical presence of that individual that makes you a man. Yeah. If it's going to be disruptive or distracting, then it's probably best. But it takes him a while to appreciate that, you know. Yeah. It does. And I'm sure he's looking at you because you are a super great role model. Thank you so much for being here on yeah. the edge with me, uh, Andrea Hollingshead. You are a rock star. Tell my brains how to get in contact with you to uh, coach with you. Are you doing some coaching online? Yes. Do you have yes. an online boot camp? <laughs> I do. So it's a, it's a 90 day boot camp and it combines the physical health and the fitness and mental health all in one. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Andrea Hollingshead, or at Rockstar Wellness. Rockstar Wellness. Well, I'll tell you, Grace, you know, get your banjo ready. <laughs> <laughs> it's that inner vibe. <laughs> it's that inner vibe. And you know what? Uh, tattoo your lip. I mean, not tattoo your lip. Pierce your lip. <laughs> Pierce your lip. Go for it. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Um sobriety is a really cool place mm -hmm. it's a really cool place i know that when you're in this fog and you feel that you don't have any alternatives uh that self-medicating is the way to do it but clarity clarity is key and there's mm -hmm. people that will help you that will support you so don't be afraid yes ma'am and check out other edgy conversations right here at this address Woo! on the edge with april mahoney uh, we love you guys uh, so much that we will do anything that we can to help you, support you, encourage you. We want to love on you from top to bottom. Thank you so much, Andrea. You are the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Brains. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.